This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning as we continue our series in Matthew to Matthew chapter 12. Looking this morning at verses 33 through 37. This actually continues the discussion that we looked at last time. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And so we pick up this morning, chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus spoke these words. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, as the deer pants for the streams of water, our soul pants for you, and our soul hungers for your word. And Father, we thank you for the scriptures we have just read, that they are your word, that they are truth itself. And Father, we pray that as we study them, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand and to receive your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It takes one to know one. That's a retort that children or those acting like children, sometimes make when someone calls them a name. Well, it takes one to know one. Now, for those of you who are children, don't go home and say, well, the pastor said we can say that. I'm not saying you can say that. I'm just saying sometimes people do say that. But you know, as as rude as that is, and as uncalled for as such a statement is, there is a certain element of truth In that statement, the psychologists call it projecting, attributing to someone else and accusing someone else of doing something that's really going on inside of us. For example, we may charge another person with motives. We may think they're doing something for a reason, for motives that really are the things that motivate us. And because that's what's going on in us, we tend to see that in the actions of other people. Well, we may say, well, he's just being greedy. When in fact, we ourselves are a pretty greedy person. And so we think what motivates me must be motivating someone else. And we have to be careful. Because when we say something like that about somebody else, we may be revealing much more about ourselves than we are aware of. Now, the Pharisees, as we've seen in Matthew's gospel, are after Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. 
They didn't like his teaching. They didn't like his miracles. They didn't like his crowds. And in the passage just before this one, as we saw last week, if you were here, Jesus healed a man who uh, had some physical problems, but also had a demon that was possessing him. And Jesus healed the man, and he evicted the demon, cast him out. And the, the Pharisees respond negatively. Now, they had a problem. They couldn't deny the reality of Jesus' miracles. The people saw them. You know, and the people he healed were, were there. There was no way to say it didn't happen. So they had to do something else. Instead of denying the miracles, they just tried to discredit them. Well, they said, yes, he cast a demon out, but you know, he does it by the power of the devil. This man's in league with Satan, with Beelzebub himself. And as we saw last week, uh, Jesus demonstrates how utterly ridiculous that accusation was and uh, refutes it soundly. Well, here, as we go on in Jesus' conversation with them and look at our verses this week, he's not so much uh, dealing with the accusations they make as he is dealing with their hearts. He's, he's talked last time about the, uh, the things that they're saying and showing why they're silly, showing why they couldn't possibly be true. Well, this time he's going a step deeper. He's taking a look at their hearts. What lies behind the words that they're saying? What lies behind those uh, desperate accusations that they're making about Jesus? The, the thing the Pharisees don't realize is this. What they say about Jesus does not tell us so much about Jesus as it tells us a lot about the Pharisees. And the principle that Jesus is trying to teach them here, the principle he's teaching us is this. Our behavior reveals our heart. Our behavior reveals our heart. That is, our outward conduct displays, it shows our inmost being. You know, and the, the unsettling thing about it is this, that often others see our behavior and others see our true selves, our heart, often more clearly than we do. That's why it's important as Christians that we are interacting with other believers. You know, the scriptures speak of iron sharpening iron, and so one person in the same way sharpens another because often people see in us what we do not see in ourselves. Well, the Pharisees were revealing a great deal about themselves that they obviously didn't see, but Jesus did, and he exposed them to others. Our behavior reveals our hearts. Now, obviously, when the Bible talks about our hearts in that way, it's not talking about anatomy. Uh, the heart isn't that organ that's pumping and keeping the blood moving, but rather the Bible's talking about our heart as our true self, our innermost being, our most deep identity, who we really are, our true selves. And in this passage, Jesus addresses three truths about our hearts because he's speaking to the Pharisees and addressing the sinfulness of their hearts. He's also speaking to us because as much as we might think little of the Pharisees, uh, there are a lot of things going on in the Pharisees simply because they're sinners that are going on in us because we too are sinners. So three truths about our hearts. First, Jesus speaks about the condition of our hearts. Look at verse 33. Jesus says to them, and again, just continuing this same conversation, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now, 
We've already seen where Jesus has used trees as an analogy, as a way of illustrating people. Turn over back to Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus here is speaking about false prophets, about wolves, danger to the flock. And Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So Jesus is just saying, you know, as the character of the tree is, so the fruit that comes from it. Uh, An apple tree doesn't produce oranges. And a sick tree isn't going to produce flourishing healthy fruit, but sickly fruit, bad fruit. But a good healthy tree will generally produce good fruit. And the two can't be crossed up. But Jesus isn't just talking about trees here, is he? He's talking about our hearts, talking about your heart and my heart. And what he is saying here is that the heart of a human being basically has one of two options. It's either good or it is bad. Well, let's talk first then about a bad tree or a bad heart that Jesus is talking about here. Uh, because Jesus goes on ahead to, to, in verse 34, to say what he thinks of the Pharisees' hearts. Well, first of all, let's talk about a bad heart. Well, the scriptures say a lot of things about our hearts in its sinful condition. The Bible says that we, our hearts are dead spiritually. You know, Ephesians 2.1, where Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, the Ephesians were alive. They were breathing. They ate. They drank. They got up in the morning, went to bed at night. So when Paul says you were dead in your sins, obviously he's not speaking physically, but he's speaking about their hearts. He's speaking about their condition before God. He's talking about their spiritual awareness as far as God is concerned. So a bad heart is one that's dead spiritually and therefore doesn't respond to Jesus. He's talking about a heart being bad that is hostile to God. Now, that's interesting for some people. They've never really thought about it that way. But look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Most people think that the human heart is indifferent toward God or even really looking for God. It's not what the Bible says. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, and in a way that's like speaking of the heart, speaking of our inner being, our thinking, focus of our lives. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, that is in their fallen, Christless condition, cannot please God. A bad tree, a bad heart is not only dead to God, not only dead to the things of God, but it's actually hostile toward him because it wants its way. God challenges us, but we want our way. We want to be our own gods in our fallen condition. It's also bent toward sin. Again, in Romans chapter 7, Paul is describing his heart. Now, when I was in seminary, we actually divided a class and had a debate on Romans 7, whether it represented Paul's experience before he became a Christian the group, one group had to know those arguments and present them. Or did they represent Paul after he'd become a Christian? 
because of the kinds of things that Paul says here. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, I think Paul is describing his Christian experience in many ways because this describes my Christian experience as a, as a believer. But look at Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he goes on to say, In verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I can't think of any Christian I've ever met who who hasn't said amen to what Paul says here, because even as Christians, there's a struggle. Now, even though we have a new heart within us, there's still that residual effect of the old bad heart that still sometimes wants to lead us into sin. How much more if you're not a Christian? How much more if you don't have the Holy Spirit? How much more if your heart is still dead? There is a bent, an inclination towards sin. We are prone to sin. The hymn writer says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Even as Christians, but how much more before we're Christians, is there that inclination to sin? So that's the bad heart, the condition of our hearts. But Jesus also speaks of a good tree, a good heart. This is a heart that has been made alive or is regenerate, to use the uh, theological term. You know, you can hear the word Genesis, regenerate in there. Uh, A new life, to be born again. And in fact, that's one of the metaphors Perhaps the most familiar one, John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, you must be born again before you can see the kingdom of heaven. Now, Nicodemus, I don't know if he was really thinking this or just playing dumb, but he says, how can a man be born again? You know, Well, Jesus obviously wasn't talking about any physical birth, but a new spiritual birth. But the Bible has other metaphors for describing this good heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet talks about, about God taking away our heart of stone. What can a stone heart do? Nothing. It's dead. And replacing it with a heart of flesh. Just as we have a living, beating heart in our physical bodies, God gives us a living, beating spiritual heart that is alive to him. There are other images in the scriptures, the the heart of flesh now that's living and warm and alive, being born again. Paul uses the metaphor of we were dead, but God made us alive. Just put life where there once was no life. And, you know, when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave, that's in many ways a picture of what he did for us when we became Christians. We were dead, but he called us and we came to life and we came out of our grave and we followed Jesus. So. These are the two options that Jesus gives, the bad tree, the good tree, bad heart, the good heart, Uh, a heart that is alive, a heart that wants to know God, a heart that wants to please God. Now, he says to the, the Pharisees, the tree is known by its fruit. The condition of your heart will show itself, just like the condition of the tree will show itself in the fruit that it produces. Well, let's talk about then that, that then second, the truth, second truth that Jesus speaks of. First, the condition of our hearts, but then he speaks of the evidence of our hearts. Now, you, just like you can't see somebody's physical heart beating away, but there is evidence of it. They have the right color. They're standing, they're breathing, talking, you know, they haven't keeled over. That physical heart is working. We can't see it. You might could hear or feel the pulse. But you don't see it, but you see the evidence of it and that the person is alive and healthy, doing what healthy people ought to be able to do. 
So it is with our spiritual hearts. If it's not healthy, we don't see the heart per se, but we see the evidence, the fruit of it in someone's life. How so? Well, we will always act according to our nature. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, you brood of vipers, you know, you offspring of, 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 of snakes. Not a very politically correct thing to say, but Jesus called them like he saw them. He was very honest with them about their condition. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, we will always act according to our nature. We can't do otherwise. This has always been true. Jeremiah even says of Israel in chapter 13, verse 23, he says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Ethiopian was dark in color. Can't make that change. Can the leopard change his spots? Well, the spots are part of what a leopard is. He can't just change and make himself look different. Jeremiah says, then also you can, uh, then also you cannot do good who are accustomed to do evil. If someone can change the color of his skin, if a leopard can change his spots, then someone accustomed to do evil can do good. But of course that can't happen. We will always act according to our nature. Well, I know. We'll take them and we'll, we'll put them in schools and we'll educate them. That'll make them better people. That only makes them better educated sinners. You see, education will not change a bad heart. Well, we'll, we'll put them in prison and make them think about it. Well, that may only harden their heart. The only thing that can change the heart is the grace of God. The problem is that sinners sin. You can make them smarter, you can try to lay a guilt trip on them, but the heart remains the same. The problem is that we always act according to our nature. This is, by the way, why no one can come to the Father unless Christ grants it to him. Well, if we just make the gospel clear enough, they'll believe. Well, no, they won't because their heart is dead. They need something major to happen, and, uh, and that something is something only God can do before they can believe. We have to recognize the Bible's teaching about the human heart apart from the grace of God. Now, Jesus uses a different analogy here. He used a tree earlier, a good tree and a bad tree, but here he uses the idea of a treasure. Look at uh, verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. By the way, a different word here for good, a different word here translated evil, maybe referring, if there is any distinction from the words used earlier, maybe those were just describing the inward character. These are describing the outward behavior. may not be a difference, but if there is one, that may be what it is. But the idea of treasures. Suppose someone had a, had a treasure chest, and in that box were, were several fine antique vases. They could pull out a vase, show it to you, maybe give it to you. And because it is a chest full of fine antique vases, that treasure is is good. It's worth something. It's valuable. Someone else has a treasure chest, and in it are also some vases. But these vases were made last year, and they're very cheap and of poor quality. It doesn't matter which one they select and give to you. It's going to be a counterfeit. It's going to be a fake, and it's not worth very much. Well, that's kind of the analogy, the picture that Jesus is using here. What is in your treasure is all you can produce. 
Two men are pushing fruit carts. One fruit, one cart has very good and healthy fruit in it. Anything he hands you out of that cart is going to be good. Another man has a cart full of rotting and bad fruit. Anything he hands you out of his cart is going to be bad. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's the evidence uh, of our hearts, whether it's the idea of the fruit on a tree or the treasure brought out of a chest. If it's good, it's going to be good. If it's bad, it's going to be bad. And the emphasis there is quite strong. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good things. Evil, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil things. The emphasis, your character, your heart, will show itself in the evidence of your life. Well, what are those things? What is the evidence? Well, it has to do with our character, with our conduct. Uh, Paul was pretty clear about this in Galatians chapter 5. We're not talking about fruit trees, are we? We're talking about human beings and the way that we, uh, and the way that we behave. Um, look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul says, now the works of the flesh, and Paul uses the word flesh to refer to our fallen nature, our nature apart from Christ as sinners. The works of the flesh are evident. What does that fallen nature produce? He lists some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that is hostility or fighting with each other, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God because their hearts are wrong. They don't know God. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against those things there is no law. That's the kind of fruit we're talking about here. The evidence of our lives, the way we live, the priorities that we have, the things that are important to us, what we do, what we don't do, and some more, as we'll see. Well, that brings us then to the third truth Jesus speaks of, the condition of our hearts, the evidence of our hearts by which they reveal themselves, but then also the assessment of our hearts. Look at verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, I tell you. Now, when he says that, he's saying, you know, pay, pay extra attention. I, I have something very important to say to you. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, what is Jesus getting at here? Well, first he refers to the day of judgment. That there is coming a day in the future when we will stand before God. And we will, we will give an account to God, a day of reckoning. Jesus himself speaks of that for everything we've done. But Jesus especially mentions here our words, what we say, uh, every careless word we have spoken. Why careless? Well, because it's especially when we speak off the cuff. It's especially when we utter something unpremeditated that we're likely to reveal our heart. Someone once said that a gaffe is a politician accidentally telling the truth. 
Uh, not to be so cynical, but there is something about that, because when you are a politician, you have to weigh every word. You have to be very calculated in what you say. When you're the president, you have to be very careful in the kinds of things that you say, because what you say could change world events or make the stock market go up or down or whatever. So they were very careful in what they say. But if you want to know someone's heart, hear what they say in an informal, off-the-cuff way. Hear what they say when they're under stress. Hear what they say when they're shocked or surprised or dismayed. And our hearts reveal themselves. And if you're like me, all too often you're dismayed by what your heart reveals in those careless and off-the-cuff comments and remarks. Well, what about this, by your words? Well, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. Jesus is saying even by the words that you utter, even by something we might see as Passing and insignificant as even just a careless word. God notes. He records. Takes account of it. But Jesus is also saying that our words really do reveal the condition of our hearts. He's not saying here that somehow if we just say the right things and don't say the wrong things, we'll be justified. Remember, Jesus is talking about the heart. But it's the words that reveal the heart. God knows our hearts even before we say anything, you know. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. Our words reflect our hearts. Now that gets back to the Pharisees. Jesus is empowered by the devil, so they say. Boy, does that ever reveal their hearts? Does that ever reveal the hardness, the blindness, the enmity, the hostility toward God, of which Paul spoke in Romans 8? Their words, Jesus is saying, reveal much more about them than they say about Jesus. Our words reveal a great deal about us and our hearts as well. Well, I want to close before we celebrate the Lord's Supper with just a couple thoughts in application. Our big need isn't better behavior. It's a better heart. The Christian gospel is not a pick pick yourself up by your bootstraps, get yourself cleaned up, straightened out, and ready to go gospel. It is a gospel about God who gives us a new heart, who changes our lives from the inside out. We need to pray that God will give you a new heart. If you are not a believer, if you are not sure if you're a believer, ask that God would give you a heart to know him, to understand his word. But even with a new heart, as we saw in Romans 7, we still struggle against the impulses of our fallen nature. Its power is broken, its guilt is removed, but old habits die hard, and our sinful nature wants to uh, have its way. And so we struggle against the old nature. But that's the difference. We struggle. You say, I really struggle as a Christian against sin in my life. Well, praise God, because if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't be struggling. The fact that you were struggling is evidence of new life. Now, Jesus speaks here specifically of our words, and so it would be appropriate to say that as believers, we need to be especially careful about our speech. Proverbs contains warning after warning, admonition after admonition about the tongue and about the way that we talk. It refers to the lips, the tongue, our mouths, with our speech, uh, because Proverbs is about wisdom, and a lot of wisdom has to do with knowing what to say and what not to say and if we should say anything at all. You're familiar with James chapter 3, where he encourages us in the use of our tongues, that the tongue is difficult, it's powerful, who can, who can control it? And we all know instances where we've gotten in trouble with our tongues. But then Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9, has one other thing to say about the tongue, as he's 
talking, writing here to these Christians, just instructing them in some different ways of living out God's grace in their life. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We want our speech to be encouraging and, and upbuilding and not destructive. Our big need isn't a better, isn't better behavior, it's a new heart, but our biggest need is not a new heart, but a Savior. Although we need a new heart, of course, to believe in Him, but even more than we need a, a, a new heart, we need a Savior. Because the fact is, we're all guilty. And if we had to stand on our own based on what we've said and what that reveals about our hearts, we would all fall short on the day of judgment, on the day of reckoning. But the good news is that Jesus never once sinned against God in what he said. By his words, Jesus is justified. And by his words, we are justified because we have a Savior who obeyed God in his speech because he obeyed God in his heart. And he died for all of us who believe in him who haven't. Praise God for our Savior that Jesus himself is the one who will win and has won our acquittal on the day of judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our righteousness. Thank you, Father, for his blood that has atoned for our sins of the tongue. Father, we thank you for a heart to love you, a heart that would want to be here at an early hour on a Sunday morning to worship you, to be with one another, to study your word. Father, we all know the struggle of our old fallen nature. But Father, we thank you that you have given us new hearts. And Lord, if there is someone here, adult or child, that has not, does not have a regenerate heart, I pray that you would give them that heart, convict them of sin, and to draw them to the Savior. Father, we pray that you would help us to glorify you in what we say, because we glorify you in our hearts. Lord, help us to want to honor and obey you, even when no one else is looking, even when no one else is around, because ultimately, Lord, we don't want to please men. We want to please you, and we don't want to just be a Christian in our outward behavior, but from the heart that shows itself in the way we live and in the way we speak. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.